revolution. What this world really needs is a spiritual revolution. Society need regeneration. Godly re-education. Oh yeah. So there's got to be a revolution. Hey. I had to look that up. It was further back than I thought. And we were in the Edge concert scene. Ernie Toppin would start revival that Sunday morning. This song was playing when I had what I refer to as a Lord passing by moment, standing in the back of the Edge. And the best I can describe it is when Jesus was passing by his to-be disciples and said, follow me. Now, I preached a sermon on March 22nd, 2017. It was called, When the Lord Passes By. And that sermon was my yearly sermon that I would preach in preparation for the conference. But that sermon was directly off of that moment in the edge. It was a result of that moment that I had May of 2013. And I was dealing with myself in that sermon. The opening statements, I went back to look at that sermon in preparation. My opening statements in that sermon were as follows. We like to think that we are in control when it comes to our destiny and our calling before God. The truth is we have very limited view of what God is really doing, what He has in mind for our lives. There is a factor we don't often consider when it comes to the will of God for our lives, and it is God's specifically timed purpose. We don't consider the factor of now. When I preached that sermon, I was searching God for when is the now. I quoted the scripture in James 4, 13 through 15, come now. You who say that today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's but a vapor. It appears a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. When God passed me by, it was very distinct. Very distinct. And God said, I am calling you to evangelistic ministry. Now, now follow me as we go along. Because May 15, 2013, the Wednesday night of that revival, 
I don't remember exactly what he was preaching on, but it had something to do with the will of God or surrender or both. And as I came to the altar, God visited me again in the same manner. And all of this was so tangible, it was so real, it was so distinct that God was setting this course. And I, I thought it was imminent. And I began to downsize my life. I began to rid of certain distractions and begin to set my course towards the evangelism trail in ministry. And I want you to hold that thought for now. As I read the text, and bear with me, I'm not a storyteller when I tell a story. It's going to take a little longer, so I'm going to preach a little longer tonight. But Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, in the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. He said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up from the land to this good large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. You may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, I want to preface this. Do not think that I am trying in any way to compare myself or this calling to Moses but simply, there are a number of things in this account that will help me to convey mine to you. And so it was Pastor Olson's testimony in the Prescott Conference, which I'll get to in the end, that was the final catalyst to me surrendering. And my hope tonight is that I can make an impact towards that end here tonight. So I want to preach this sermon called Not in the Script. And I want to first consider the call. Now, I was originally called by God to preach the gospel about two months into my salvation. It was a very distinct call. I knew that I was called to preach. I had no idea all that this entailed. I didn't know where it would take me, uh, how or whether I could actually fulfill it. I just knew I was called to preach. And in our text, we find the culmination of God's call in Moses' life, the promptings of this, had happened much earlier in his life. So all of that is coming to pass in our text, that, that God's time for Moses, it all culminated over a period of time in his past. And so the Bible records that one day he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Moses intervenes on behalf of this Hebrew brother and kills the Egyptian. 
And while this was not what God had in mind, Moses was responding to something God put in him early in life that would eventually lead Moses to being God's deliverer for his people. So this event sent Moses into a 40-year time of exile, 40 years until God then would fulfill this. Now, early in my salvation, God put some deep things in me. And what I'm going to share with you, I, I hope you don't take wrongfully in my motive of telling them, uh, but they're important towards the whole picture that we end with tonight. And so I'm going to use the following examples simply to paint the picture uh, so that you can get the full, because it really is fascinating when you think about how God will bring a person uh, over the years. Now, one of the things, as we begin to go back for a moment, one of the things early on in my experience with God, in early disciple years, uh, and, and what God did was some very, very supernatural things. And part of that, and, and I say this without full evidence, uh, but part of that was the raising of a man from the dead at the scene of a car accident. And this made an impression on me. Now, whether he had no pulse or not, I can't tell you. All I can tell you is it was about 2 in the morning, and we were on our way back from Scenic Drive. We were doing an evangelistic meeting. This man is laying in the street. A crowd is beginning to draw. He's, he's totally motionless. He's in a pool of his blood. His face is a part of the, the ground. And our first instinct uh, was to break through that crowd and lay hands. Uh, and in a moment of time, that man rose up from that street and began to walk away. And this made an impression on me early on operating in my life that God had put is an insatiable desire to see God move in signs and wonders. And, and early on as disciples, uh, uh, we encountered many things. Uh, we cast out numbers of demons, demonstrative workings, uh, regularly initiating the supernatural workings of God. So this is in my spirit as a brand new convert, as a young man of God. This followed me into the early years of pastoring. Many powerful miracles by the hand of God. I can bring to your attention Ray Amparan Jr.'s great-grandmother on his mother's side when they were saved and serving God under us in northeast El Paso. She had a severe case of diabetes and total kidney failure. And I remember the night, it was just a, a movie we were showing, but to me, there was any opportunity to pray for the sick, and so the movie was over, and I, I called for the sick. This is a church of, you know, maybe 50 people, and probably 20 came to the altar. Uh, one of the notable miracles was her. Uh, I didn't know at the time, but they came back a week later with the doctors noticed it. Her kidneys were full functioning and her diabetes was gone. And so this began to make an impression on me. A woman one time with a tumor the size of both of my hands instantly before our very eyes as you're touching it literally disappeared. So this made an impression on me. I remember back then Pastor Lamb was here and I would have breakfast with him every morning and I always had a miracle to share and, and I would come week after week with another miracle that God did. And I remember one time he said, uh, and it was probably his nervous way of responding to this young, zealous pastor uh, uh, and, and being careful he didn't inflate my ego. Uh, he said, boy, that's the most healing church I've ever seen. Uh, and, and while it certainly wasn't, it was simply his way of responding. But I'm trying to paint a picture early on of things that God put there. 
So like Moses, something was working, but at times it was very misdirected. And in my case, over time, it became very inconsistent. On May 11, 2013, God planted the seed of what he was going to cause to be realized here in 2019. Because something else that coordinated with that time, and, and that was that very shortly after that time in the edge and that night and that Wednesday night, something, God reawakened something in my spirit. He reawakened this insatiable drive that, that had been lost in my life over time. Uh, not that I didn't believe, I just didn't have it there for whatever reason. And God reawakened that. And so I asked Matt McDonald at this last conference because I began to ask him for all, whatever miracle books he can get his hands on. And I said, Matt, I didn't preface this. I didn't tell him why I was asking. I said, Matt, when did I start asking you for the books on healing? He said about five years ago. And yearly, Matt would set aside these books and bring them. And I probably have at least 20 of them in my library uh, that he's given to me. Uh, and Matt began to feed this new awakening in my spirit. Now, from early on in my salvation, I knew I was called to preach but I had no idea where it would take me. Even the way that God assured that I got into ministry, because I was in a pioneer, well, it was beyond pioneer stage, but it was a small church. It was a church of about 40 people, and, and initially we had powerful revival in that church that, that broke loose, but over time, things settled in at about 40 people. And I remember getting married and I'm, I'm in a bit of despair because I wanted to preach and get sent out, but I saw no hope in a church that was stalled until Prescott Conference, 1992, January. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the same year that both Rick Reyna, Richard Contreras, and myself all got sent out. And I got a phone call from my pastor at the time who was Chuck Benson and Pastor Lamb was there in earshot uh, behind him, and they were asking me to take over the church that I was currently a member of. Now, this was certainly not how I wanted to launch my calling into the ministry, to take over my own church, where who would be my number one disciple used to be my roommate. I used to date one of the girls in the church, and now I'm going to be the pastor of the brother that discipled me. This was not an appealing thing. When I went home and told my wife, uh, she just started crying. And I can tell you, I was way over my head. So, so many mistakes, so many mishandled situations. But there's one thing I had in my favor, even though I was way over my head. What I had in my favor was this supernatural working of God he had birthed in my life. This was alive and well. The, 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 the passion of that was at work. And this, this helped me in spite of all of my greenness in the ministry. 1992 marked the year that I was launched into the ministry. And God, all along, unbeknownst to me, had this moment in 2019 that as I'm going to show you over time, he was preparing for all along. What's, much of what I felt him doing early on even, and as the years passed, was always only partially realized. 
It was never totally fulfilled. It was like there was something in me that would get frustrated at points because I wasn't seeing the breakthrough in this arena that I felt so strongly about. And I'll say this to you before I move on. Prior to 2013, never one time did I ever dream about the day of being an evangelist, nor did the calling ever appeal to me in any way, never once. If I did consider it, I thought, no way. And so uh, I, I had no inclination that this would be God's eventual call uh, at all. But here we are. So let's talk secondly about the struggle. Because this is where not in the script comes into play. If, if God would have been imminent in the moment it all happened, it would have been great, but God wasn't, and that was bad for me because I started thinking too much. And God visited me very tangibly and powerfully in 2013 to the point that he actually got me to think and consider the possibility that he had actually called me to be an evangelist one day where it wasn't even remotely in my thoughts, didn't even like the thought of it. Nothing in me did it appeal, and he actually has me thinking about it now. I went on record with my wife about all of this way back then. I don't know that she even took it real seriously, but she saw me make these radical moves and start shifting things in my priorities. And she says, what are you doing? Well, I'm getting ready. But I didn't know it wasn't the time. But then, as, and, and I hadn't gone on record with Pastor Stevens. He, he knew none of this. And I'm sorry that I made you have it at the last minute, but we'll go there. <laughs> but I went on record, but I didn't tell Pastor because I still wasn't convinced myself. And over the next few months, though, this thought, this sense, this kind of faded from me. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what that was all about. And I didn't just ignore it, but I thought, whatever, it's not there now. I'm not feeling it. I'm not thinking about it. And so on I went I settled into what I was called to do, and that was pastor and disciple men. Here's Moses. He goes into exile. He settles into a pattern of life. It was in his control. It was familiar to him. He did this for 40 years. To date, I have pastored 27 years in a few months. This is what's familiar to me. This is what I've been passionate about for 27 years, uh, is pastoring. And I have had the amazing privilege of being on staff in a leadership church under a leadership pastor for 10 years. The, the amazing privilege that that is. I've personally been able to plant some men into the field over the years. I'm not an evangelist, I'm a pastor. And if you or me or my wife or Pastor Stevens was to write the script of my future contributions to the kingdom of God and to this fellowship, none, there's not one here, including myself, would say, yeah, Puglisi would make a good evangelist. It was not in the script. And that's the reason why Friday night when I was announced, some of you came up to me and, and God bless you, I know you mean well, but you weren't happy for me. Some of you accuse me of a wrong motive in why I'm doing this. 
Some of you flat out told me, I just don't see it. And that's okay. I don't either. <laughs> because it's not in the script according to, if we're to really deduct this thing. And as I would begin to say so, so many times, particularly over the last three years, and I said it many times, this just doesn't make sense. So the struggle began. When God reinitiated Moses' calling to be a deliverer, in our text, it initiated all sorts of insecurities in his life, and that was some of his battles that he had with God in conversation. And if I can be honest with you and transparent without you using it against me, I've never felt more insecure as I do about somehow fulfilling this call. Because it presents a new level of trusting God in so many ways. And in some ways, to me, it's like starting all over in the ministry, such unfamiliar territory. Doesn't make sense. But the promptings of God would come again. They faded off, and then they would come again. At first, they were very infrequent. Something would initiate that seed that God planted in 2013. Sometimes it would just be a certain sermon and it was like just me and God right there. It didn't matter. The sermon didn't necessarily have to be on the will of God or something. There's something in the sermon and there I was, me and God. I'm, I'm thinking about this again. Sometimes it was a random moment in the day. But all of a sudden this call was once again on my mind and in my spirit. This was 14, 2015. Only difference now was no longer eager to respond yes to God. And as more time passed, and certainly as we got into 2016 and 2017, it kind of shifted. It was no longer just kind of a reminder and a prompting of God. It was now it shifted into the dealing of God that was visiting me, and at times it became very intense, although still somewhat infrequent. My wife is a witness to all of this, as I would fill her in periodically, or she would ask me out of the blue, or if she heard a certain sermon that she thought God was speaking to me, she would say, so do you still feel the call to be an evangelist? <laughs> Stop tormenting my soul. And she would ask this, when are you going to tell pastor? And I would always say, not yet. And not yet lasted for three years. Now I have to say this so that you don't squirm your way out of your calling. <laughs> While I never flat out told God no, I never once said absolutely 100% not, not doing it. I never said that. But I really was hoping that this would just disappear, kind of like... Abraham in the moment where God said, no, don't offer your son. I know now that you love me. I'm waiting for those words. No, stay as a pastor. But it never happened. But I always had my heart open as time passed because I was terrified of missing God or missing his timing. So I carefully monitored as time passed God's dealing as they became more frequent. I was carefully monitoring 
And any time we had an evangelist come, I would get them to myself and I would pepper them with questions. They had no idea why, so they never thought anything of it. None of them would even remember that I did that. But I did that because I was desperately trying to see, okay, how is this going to work? What, what kind of life is this going to require of me? How am I going to function? And, and I remember when Steve Sapatha came the very last time, he was doing our serious men class, and, and he, he was giving his testimony. He mentioned that he was a pastor of nine or so years, and, and then God was dealing with him about being an evangelist, and he talked about the struggle. And so I, Pastor Stevens had left for that revival, so I was the one taking him out. So I took him to Village Inn. And he's the only other one than my wife before I told Pastor a few weeks back that knew this was going on. He laughed as I told him. He says, I've been there, brother. He says, I'll pray for you. (laughs) I have since texted him and said, okay, it's done. And he sent me a bunch of hands clapping. He said, welcome. Moses has has these conversations with God. In Exodus 3.11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the children out of Egypt? Exodus 4.1, Moses said, but suppose they'll not believe me or not listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord's not appeared to you. Exodus 4.10, and Moses said, oh Lord, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since. You've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Exodus 4, 13, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of someone else, whoever you will send. I started having a number of those conversations with God, especially as God began to turn the heat up on me about this. And I would and I'm going to tell you just how they went. And you can believe me or not how I felt God responded. That really is inconsequential. Lord, I'm not a pastor. I'm an I'm not an evangelist. I'm a pastor. He said, I called you to be an evangelist. Lord, I'm not gifted to do this. God said, I'll gift you. Lord, there's so many people out there that would be naturals at this. Will you worry about what I called you to do? God, this is not in the script. It doesn't even make sense that you would groom my life how you have and then call me to be an evangelist. And God says, I'm the script writer. If I go to Pastor Stevens, He's going to laugh and say, you're not cut out for this. He's your headship. You need to tell him. Lord, I don't have a story or a testimony. I never died even once. I've never stabbed anyone. I wasn't raised in a broken home. And you got to understand here, I know that sounds so foolish and dumb, but when you're fighting God, it's amazing the things that go on in your head. God said, what's in your hand? I said, your word, he says, that's what I'll use. So I'm now at this place of utter torment because it is obvious to me that God wants this for my life. I'm facing reality now. This is still some time back. How am I going to surrender to something I'm so uncomfortable with, so insecure about, so not wanting to do? It's not me. It's not my personality. It's not my desire. Moses is the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's skilled in the way of the Egyptians. He had a pedigree. 
This calling from God was not in the script if you look at it from a human carnal standpoint. And unfortunately, that's exactly what I had done for so long. I looked at this from a carnal standpoint. And all along the way, I would preach sermons every now and then, every now and then, it wasn't very often, but here in this pulpit, that I thought maybe an evangelist would do, so I would test the waters. I know, it's all true. I'm not making it up. One time I had a person, it was Laura Melendez. And it was one of those services that I was testing the waters, and she actually came up and said, she won't remember this. I remember it because when you're going along the way, you remember all these details. She said, wow, that was like a revival meeting, and I locked it away. I said, okay, maybe this could work. About five, five months ago, God began to pound me with a scripture. When I say pound, I mean pound. It was the scripture, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake finds it. This tormented me. The reason it tormented me Because I didn't come this far in the will of God to miss what he had for me next by saying no and holding on to my life. But I'm talking about almost every day of those five months, this scripture is pounding me. It's real. It's there by the Holy Spirit of God. And and everything in me, I don't want to miss it. But God, I don't want to do it. Because this is not what I thought you had next for me. Some of you will remember the sermon, and I preached it the Wednesday before conference, called, To Whom Are You Surrendered? I don't know if you remember the text. It was, if you desire to save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Guess why I preached that one? Because God dealt with me, and I was preaching to me. But there's one little caveat here. By the time I preached that, I had already surrendered to God on this matter. I had already spoken to Pastor Stevens. I knew the announcement was going to be made on Friday of our conference. And so I felt like I had a grip on that scripture because God made me process it over that five-month period. So you can go back and listen to that sermon with that in mind. I would already surrendered to the call. So let's talk about the fulfillment. Because what Moses felt 40 years earlier in his life is now becoming reality as God visits him with a burning bush. Now, I honestly thought this whole thing was going to transpire last year in our conference. Because in the months before our conference last year, the the frequency of this just ratcheted it up and it's, it's on me. I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with God. So I went to Prescott Conference last year in January and I said, God, I need rhema. Now, I didn't do the fleece because this year, like I was going to because Pastor Stevens nixed that in his Sunday school and Gideon saying, no fleeces. So I said, okay, no fleeces. 
But I did say, God, I need rhema. I need a specific word. This is the year before this year's conference. I need a specific word from you this week uh, as a final confirmation of all this. Uh, I went through the whole week. Uh, all I'm listening for in that conference is rhema. I left Prescott frustrated and confused because no rhema. Now, I can't tell you exactly how I knew but I knew last year wasn't the time. And it wasn't because of no rhema. I just knew it wasn't the time. And again, I'm monitoring this carefully because I don't want to miss God if this is what he wants to do. So I didn't go to Pastor Stevens and I told my wife, not yet. And I kid you not what I'm about to say. There's absolutely no exaggeration to what I'm going to say. There's no... There's no act of trying to sensationalize the story. This is 100% true from our conference 2018 when it ended until I went to speak with Pastor Stevens, which was March 4th, 2019. There wasn't one day that passed by that this calling was not on my mind. In most days, it was multiple times in a day. Sometimes I was just thinking about it and pondering it. Sometimes I was fighting God about it. Sometimes I was actually beginning to feel and sense destiny associated with it, which was the first time that this had happened to me. And honestly, many times, it was the very first thing on my mind, the moment I woke up, there it was, from the time of last year's conference till I went to Pastor Stevens. The weeks before I finally went to Pastor Stevens, I became, and my wife even told Sister Renee, I didn't know she told her this. Boy, he's so moody. He's so irritable. I was moody. I was irritable. I was agitated. I was not happy. And I knew that holding on to my life was going to cause stagnation, and I feared that with all that was in me. And from the moment, I want you to hear this because this is going to help some of you that are fighting the will of God. The moment I spoke to Pastor Stevens, you've got to understand, everything I've shared with you, as condensed as I can, I'm agit- I mean, the first words out of my mouth talking to Pastor Stevens, I really don't want to have this conversation with you. I had to clarify it so he didn't think I fell somehow into sin or something. <laughs> From the moment I spoke to Pastor Stevens and walked out of that office, The absolute peace of God fell on my life from that moment. And I've had it since. So let's talk about the burning bush and conclude. Because as we headed to Prescott Conference 2019, January, just a few months ago, I said to God once again, I need rhema. Now, I don't know what I was going to do if I didn't get the rhema, but I just telling you, I said, God, I need rhema. Monday night, I'm sure it's going to come through Pastor Mitchell. No, Rama. Tuesday, there are four outstanding preachers. I'm going to get my Rama. No, Rama. Wednesday again. No, Rama. Thursday morning. And when it was being preached, my wife just kind of comfortably gave me room because she knew God was hammering me. And I'm there, and Pastor Mark Olson is preaching, and and this is what stunned me. 
He said, I already had my sermon ready and this morning, I'm pretty sure it was that morning or the morning before, but it was very close proximity. He says, God changed my sermon on me. I thought he said it was that morning. He was down in the lobby of the hotel. He was putting together the sermon that he had, that he preached, that God changed on him. And then he preaches this sermon. Listen to me. I asked God for Rhema. God changed his sermon. Now, it may not have just been for me, but I sure felt like it was just for me. In 32 years of salvation, I have never had rhema like that. It was so pronounced and overwhelming. I felt like Pastor Olson was reading the pages of my life and my struggle to the very words that he used to describe his struggle when he was surrendering to become a missionary, I was literally in utter shock. I was under deep conviction. And then for good measure, Thursday night, Pastor Tom Payne preaches on Jonah. Oh, I had been a Jonah. This was the capstone. And I'm going to tell you, I knew that I knew that I knew at that point God had called me to this calling. God's word was so clear to me and fashioned for me that morning. I've never in 32 years had a visitation of God like that at an altar. I literally couldn't speak. I couldn't worship in the midst of all that was going on. I, was, I almost felt mute. I was, I was numb. I was disconnected. It was just me and God at that altar. I left that tent. I get in the car. My wife is just somberly watching because she knows something just happened. I couldn't even mumble out the words. It's time to go talk to Pastor Stevens. I found a way to mumble them. And of all the people we're going to fellowship with that afternoon is Jerry Fussell. <laughs> you think God doesn't have a sense of humor? I didn't tell him anything, but I'm just sitting there like, oh, boy. I want to finish with the long-standing backdrop, and I, I, I'm very nervous about some of what I'm sharing because I don't want to come off wrong, but I think it's important to help inspire others here. It's a long-standing backdrop I saved for this last part of the sermon. Because there's nothing about the lifestyle of an evangelist that appeals to me, and I'm just being honest. But God gave me a word. It was a word through the evangelist Glenn Cluck. So Glenn gave Glenn a word. But this word was many, many years ago. And I'm guessing at the dates, but I think I have them more or less right. It happened twice in two different cities. One was El Paso in 1994. And the other was Moreno Valley, California, when we were pioneering in L.A. in 1997. Same evangelist Glenn Cluck almost identical. He was there. He was just kind of ministering. And all of a sudden, he stopped in his tracks. He turned and pointed at me the same way, both almost like God caught his attention. And he said the words, God wants to give you a deliverance ministry. I want you to follow me here. Because that word burned in me. 
And it stuck with me. You know, you've gotten words over the years and they haven't come to pass and, or maybe you've seen them in partial. Or, and they just kind of fade off. This has never faded from me, ever. There were times in Houston and one of them in particular when uh, Jerry Fussell was as an evangelist again and we had him come and he gave a word to the church and he said, God's going to raise up a revival center here. And when he said that, my heart jumped because I said, maybe this is going to be the time that we see this come to pass. So this stuck with me. All these years, I've even contended to see and, and frustrated many times because it seemed like you'd have some times of just God moving sovereignly and other times it's like nothing. always searching and I didn't and I still don't fully understand what it means but somehow instinctively as I said in the beginning of the sermon that this was the culmination of Moses' life over all the years all the things that God placed there somehow instinctively this has something to do with it it's almost like Caleb after 40 years looking at that mountain and still with freshness in his spirit, claiming it for God. And it became apparent to me that perhaps this will be the season in this calling, in this ministry, that somehow God will fulfill this. There's very little, listen, very little, even as I speak to you now, at all of the lifestyle and evangelists that appeals to me but I'll tell you something, the one thing, the possibility of this of functioning in a supernatural realm, the ability to touch people's lives night in and night out in a supernatural manner, I'm telling you, it puts a spark in my spirit. The potential that if God, if God would certainly anoint my life to be an instrument of deliverance, to traffic in the supernatural Seeing people saved and delivered, that, my friend, makes this calling of great appeal to me. In Exodus 3, 7 and 8, the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, so I've come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. In Exodus 3, 10, come now, therefore, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And while this may not have been in the script, I have accepted the rewrite of the script. And I want to declare, and the reason I'm going to say what I'm going to say emphatically, because you need to hear it, I need to hear it, my wife needs to hear it, and I'm going on record before God, that I have been called to be an evangelist. There's no other motive. There's no other reason, as many have surmised. It's not more complicated than God has called and I have finally surrendered. And guess what? His timing is now. Brother Ernie came in, and God bless him. He means so well on everything he says, but he's, he was thinking the way I did about this. Why it's more productive for you to stay in this position during this time, the last days, 
And I agree with that whole premise, but I think in a lot of the last days, oh, the potential, folks, the potential of seeing God move, because I still believe God's going to bring revival. And I'm just going to say this. It's a broad statement, and I've believed this for years about the evangelists of our fellowship, that they're going to be a big part of the revival that God's going to bring. They're going to be revivalists. They're going to bring fire into congregations. Uh, God's going to anoint them with the supernatural. Uh, oh, how, how glorious would that be? And for good measure, as I was trying to determine when God wanted all this to happen, once I knew that I knew that this is what God called me to, I then saw the theme. I actually asked Pastor Stevens just in passing, what's the theme of our conference? He said, the urgency of our calling. And I'm telling you, it was right there I knew that this is the year. That was right before Prescott Conference. I knew this was the year. And listen, I want to be raptured doing the specific will of God that he called me to. Not my part of God's will. And I believe this is it. I'm going to close with this, and I, I saved this because this was so impacting for me. It's like the icing on the cake. And if Sister Renee's listening, just drop what you're doing, stop counting, just for a moment. Because Pastor Stevens said, Fine, you're breaking the news to Renee. You're going to tell her everything you just told me. So Friday morning of conference, called in the office, and she knew. She's been around a lot of years. She knew something's up. My wife's sitting there. I'm sitting there nervous. Pastor's sitting there just kind of with that look on his face. And she's just kind of darting her eyes around. And so I figured, well, I'll give her a short, condensed version of this to try to break her into the idea which tormented her, she told me later. She's just in my spirit. I was saying, just tell me where you're going. And so I unfolded the little tiny version of this to her. And immediately, and I think, I know it floored me and it floored my wife. I asked her, and I think it floored Pastor Stevens. When the first thing she said out of her mouth when I was done, and she said it, she like sobered up. She didn't know what happened to her face, but she's just looking kind of dismal. And when I said the last part, she sparked up and she said, that's God. And I'm gonna tell you, Sister Renee, that was a Holy Ghost moment for me. That like a prophetess, and I'm not saying that there's something special, I'm just saying you were a confirming word for me to the very end, and I thank God for that. And I want to really, really stir people as we bow our heads and close our eyes. You're fighting with God. You're fighting his calling. Listen, I want to take you back years for a moment. Because some of you, you've shelved something that God didn't ever shelve. God never said he was done with your life. There's another chapter. And I dare to say I'm out with Brother Rick Rain and his wife Mary at lunch, and he told me, he says, yeah, God began to deal with me about a year ago about getting back in ministry. God orchestrated the means for that to happen. I have no doubt God has visited you again. He has spoke to you again. 
Before I go any further with that, you may be here. You're not right with God. I want you to know what this is all about. It's about a God that came out of heaven, that he lived the the human experience. He came to bring hope and deliverance and salvation in a time of utter darkness. It culminated by him being crucified on a cross for our sins, that that was the only way that you and I could have a hope. That hope lives today. I was 18 years old. I was misdirected. I was running in life from problems when I had an encounter with the living God. So real, so tangible, it shifted everything about my life. God wants to give you an encounter tonight. If you'll come to Jesus, if you'll let Christ come inside of your life, you're going to find what life is really meant to be and how it's really meant to be lived and the joy of knowing that you're going to heaven when you die. You may be here tonight and you're not right with God. You're ready to get right. God is calling you to salvation, repentance. He loves you. He wants to change you. He has a plan for your life. If you could only grasp that and you're here, you'd say, you know what, that's me. I want to get right with God. Here's my hand. Lift it up if that's you. Pray with me tonight. I want to get right with God before I leave this place. You may feel singled out like you're the only one because God is working on your life as we speak. It's you and God, you and God. I'm not right with God. I want to get right. I want forgiveness. I want hope in life. I want change. I need deliverance. Lift your hand up. Put it up high. That's me. I'm not right. Would you pray with me? Remember me tonight. Who would that be? Put it up so I can see it. Put it up high. God's dealing with you. Maybe there's a nervous anxiety that you're feeling right now. God is dealing with you. You may be backslidden. Nothing worse than knowing the truth. Live a lie. It's a torment. God will receive you. You don't have to do backflips to get God's attention. Just come humbly before God and repent. And you'll see renewal and your best days are ahead of you. You're backslidden. Come back to Christ. Lift your hand up. That's me. Lift it up high so I can see it. Put it up and keep it up. I need to get right with God tonight. Who would that be? God's dealing with you all over this assembly. He wants to do a miracle in your life. He wants to bring radical change to your life. What are you holding on to that's so important that you'd be willing to go to hell for it? You'd be willing to enter eternity and be cast away from God forever. But yet God is offering you all that he is. He's offering you change in this life uh, and heaven in that life. Come to Jesus. Lift your hand up. I want to pray with you. Who would that be? Very quickly. God bless you. Thank you for that. Who else? You don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed. Jesus died for you openly. He showed his love for you. He has a plan for you, a change that will blow your mind. Who else with this honest young man? I'm not right. I want to get right or I'm backslidden. I'm under conviction right now. Here's my hand. Lift it up high. Lift it up quickly. Put it up so I can see it all across this place. Very quickly. Lift it up. Lift it up. Lift it up. Okay, listen. You, you lifted your hand. Do you mean that? I, I believe you did. I want to ask you to come and meet me at this altar. Somebody's going to walk with you. God is going to meet with you. 
Every other head bowed, every other eye closed. I know there are many different ways God deals with people. But he does deal with us. He has this ultimate, specific purpose and plan for our lives that we need to be so careful to make sure that we're not missing. And I'm telling you, sometimes your, your misery and your unhappiness is linked to one thing. You're just not surrendering to God. You're just not surrendering to God. And God is calling some people to re-surrender tonight. Listen, the best is yet to come. There's an acceleration of God in planet Earth. And I believe there's going to be an acceleration of a supernatural working upon workers and pastors and and the people of God in general. Listen, as young converts, we weren't pastors. We weren't even hardly pastor material. But we believed the word of God. We were casting out demons. Uh, We were raising people from the dead. Uh, We were seeing God heal people miraculously, constantly. Just brand new converts, just teenagers. Can God stir you tonight? Because he wants to bring a spiritual revolution through your life. There are men here that you've been battling your calling, whether it's something that you just don't want to do or whether it's something you shelved or it's just something that that you're you're okay with but you've not surrendered this is the time this alters the time this is it go on record with god go to pastor stevens go on record i said it wasn't in the script god said i'm the script writer around here We're going to open these altars, and I'm going to invite you to come. God is speaking to hearts. I want you to come. I want you to fall under the influence of the Holy Spirit tonight. God's specific design for your life, God's specific deposit that he wants to make in you. We'll hold on to something because we're familiar with it. We're comfortable with it. It makes sense to us. We, we feel like we know how to do it. And then God throws this curveball at us and says, no, I want this from your life. And it just spins you out. Some of you are at that place. God is saying this and you've said this. And I'm not saying that that's sending you to hell or makes you a rebel in any way. I'm just saying that I knew that I knew that if I miss God's timing, I'm going to miss something. I knew that I knew that I would begin to stagnate if I tried to hold on to what I wanted. And it scared me. Because I didn't come this far on the will of God to let it all fly apart in a moment of my own fear and insecurity. And I really couldn't tell you how all this is going to play out. I really don't know. It's so new, but you know what? I feel at peace. I feel at peace. Oh, yeah, God's touching people tonight. God's revisiting promises. God's reminding of callings. You listening to me? You'll never truly be happy if you're not doing the specific will of God. You won't. Doesn't make you a rebel. 
doesn't take your name out of the Lamb's book of life, but you won't be truly happy, truly satisfied, truly in the, in the vein of God. And I'll be honest with you. The Saturday after conference was a day from hell for me. Assault after assault, mind battle after mind battle. But that Sunday morning, God visited me. And I've got dominion now. Tell God what it is that you're going to be willing to do. Tell God what it is that you've put aside and you're going to re-embrace tonight. For some of you, it will accelerate your life very quickly. All God is waiting for is your surrender and things are going to radically and quickly change. For others, this is going to be the seed of something that God is going to place in you, a specific purpose. There are young ladies here, and listen, let's not discount God's call upon you to be a pastor's wife one day. That's legitimate. That's what my wife had. She wanted that. And some of you may be able to go take it or leave it. That's fine. But for some of you, you feel distinctly, or God's going to put it on you tonight distinctly this is what I've called you for surrender some of you ladies are holding back you're afraid of your husband responding let him go you'll be miserable your marriage will be miserable let him go surrender oh God we thank you Let that song, Spirit, touch your church. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to lift your hands. We're going to touch heaven tonight. As God is making deposits in lives here. Lift your hands. Don't go to your seats. Spirit, touch your church. Lord, we need your grace and mercy. We need to pray like never the power of your Holy Spirit to open heaven's oh, yes. Spirit, doors. Touch your church. Spirit, touch your church. Stir the oh, hearts yes, of men. Revive us, Lord, with your passion once again. I want to care for others like Jesus cares for me. Let your rain fall upon me. Oh, sing the second verse. And Lord, we humbly come before you. We don't deserve of you. church, stir the hearts of men, revive us, Lord, with your passion once again, 
I want to care for others like Jesus cares for me. Let your rain fall upon me. Oh, let your rain. Let your rain fall upon me. Let your rain fall upon me. Hallelujah, we worship you, O oh God. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Worthy is a lamb that was slain. My God, be lifted up. Exalted and magnified. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, my Lord and my God and my King. Hallelujah. For thus saith the Lord, do not forget that I am the author and the finisher of your faith. And know that it is I that is writing the script to this very faith of your life. And there are many inside of this room I have called you, I have even adored, ordained you. And looking back, you're able to see my hand that has been upon your life. There have been deposits that I have made into the secret place of your prayer life. There have been moments where I have visited you and I have even revealed unto you the things that I have called you to, to the tribes, tongues, and the nations, to the peoples that are perishing, those that I have called your life to know that I am not a God that changes, for that calling has not changed, and my hand is still upon your life, and I am even accelerating my call in these latter days, and it is this day I am calling you to obedience, there are people, there are souls that lay in the balance to your obedience. And this very day I am calling you back. I am bringing to remembrance that very call, that very thing that I have raised you up for. And I'm asking for your obedience at this altar. Thus saith the Lord. Oh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Sir. God, we thank you for your faithful dealings. Sir. Holy, 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 God, we worship you. Hallelujah. Oh, God is good. Amen. Just surrender. You say, I don't know what's going to happen if I do. That's okay. God will take care of you. I can tell you that much for sure. God is good. He's faithful. I mean, let's go. Let's be evangelistic. Let's mobilize the spirit of evangelism. That's where it's at. Amen. God will move in such 
demonstrative way. Hallelujah. We're going to dismiss tonight. You rejoice. The night is still young. Amen. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Um, Pastor Jose, why don't you close us in prayer?